You're listening to the latest dose of Bipolar Recorder. This podcast may cause dizziness and blurred vision. Enjoy. Welcome back to Bipolar Recorder. My name is Hunter Keegan. Thank you for joining me today. For this episode, I had a conversation with a guy named Aman Shabir. Aman is just 18 years old, and he was diagnosed with mental health problems while he was in early high school, or secondary school, as he calls it, because he's from the UK. And he had a lot of interesting perspective to share from that experience of being diagnosed at a relatively young age with bipolar and with other conditions. In addition to that, he discusses a new book that he's working on that was inspired by his experiences with mental illness. So let's get right into it. Welcome back to Bipolar Recorder. My name is Hunter Keegan, and today I have the great honor of being joined by Mr. Aman Shabir, who is an aspiring author and an individual living with mental illness. Aman, how are you doing today? I'm not doing too bad, actually. How are you? Good. I was worried there for a second. I thought you were going to say that you're not doing (laughs) too good. Um, I, I'm doing pretty well. I, um, I think I'm a little bit under the weather, so my voice is more gravelly than it normally is. But apart from that, like mentally and everything, it's been pretty smooth sailing lately. Um, but I guess we should kind of start with the basics. So do you want to tell the audience about what your current diagnosis is or what it has been up until this point? Because in our Um, offline conversation you were saying that it has changed quite recently right yeah I've actually had a lot of misdiagnosis from the span of seeing mental health doctors and psychiatrists and psychologists Um, from around the age of 13 I started experiencing anxiety and I was having problems swallowing food they would just like come back up the entire meal it felt there was a lodge in between my throat and my chest and I was just finding it really hard to swallow in general even if it was something simple like water it would just like stay down wow. so um we we went to the hospital uh, my friends took me to the hospital and the doctors put a camera through my throat and everything they couldn't find anything that was obstructing uh, my throat or you know causing the food or water to get stuck so um after seeing um the doctors they decided to refer me to a psychiatrist because they said it could be a symptom of anxiety Mm -hmm. so that was when i was diagnosed with generalized anxiety disorder um a couple months from then i had my first hypomanic episode but i wasn't diagnosed so it just crossed under i wasn't really sure what it was um but a pattern would be I'd be hypomanic then depressed and when I was depressed that's when I started seeing issues Mm. um so that's when I went to the doctor again and started describing my symptoms um they were lasting for quite a while um three months and um I was diagnosed with major depressive disorder so I was given antidepressants um I felt like they were working fine uh, but again I had triggered myself into a hypermanic episode again but I was oblivious to it as yeah. usual um so then um I was oblivious to it but people around me weren't so then again I went to the doctors uh, this time with my family and um, they sort of described the symptoms but while I was seeing the doctor I was in a hypermanic state and I have this really awful habit of just speaking about the mindset that I'm currently in uh-huh. so I was I was talking about, you know, how much I still concentrating and I want to be moving all over the place. Mm-hmm. And um, it was a new doctor. So I didn't describe my depression this time. I described the hypomania, which I didn't know I had. So then I was misdiagnosed with ADHD. So this <laughs> is, it keeps going on and on. Oh my gosh. And then, um, and then um, 
eventually um, I saw another doctor um, who screened me for, for ADHD. They said it, was, um, it wasn't really an accurate diagnosis and they put two and two together and they, uh, I was in a depressed state at this point again. Um, they tried to put me on antidepressants just to see if the same pattern would happen again if I was to spike upwards, which did happen, which happened after a couple of weeks. And I got my diagnosis of bipolar disorder type two, which has stuck around for quite a while until I had my first ever full blown manic episode last year, um, which was really intense. It didn't last as long as hypomania. Hypomania for me lasted maybe two to three months. The manic episode that I had last year lasted around four weeks. And um, I was diagnosed with bipolar disorder type one. Um, At first, I was really confused because I was like, I thought type one only experiences mania, but it it appears that they can experience all three, depression, mania, and hypomania. As long as you have the manic episode, you don't even need a depression episode. As long as you have mania, then you can have the diagnosis of type one. And um, that was where I was up until um, two days ago. When, Wait, so um, just um, just for one second. So for the audience, how old are you now between like 13 years old and now? Now I'm 18. Right. Okay, cool. Just establishing that for the audience. So you're actually the youngest person who's been on this show so far, just so you know. <laughs> <laughs> That's pretty cool. Yeah. But um, so anyway, so what what happened recently? So it turned from bipolar two to bipolar one. And now you were saying that there's been another development. Yeah. So I'll just give it back a few weeks. Um, I'm on medication. Um, I'm on lamotrigine and aripiprazole. And aripiprazole is very strong antipsychotic. So um, I was manic a couple of weeks ago and my psychiatrist was like, you're going to be on the 18 and over team because I recently turned 18. So I'm going to have a new doctor and new new consultant, and they're going to review medication with me. I had that appointment two days ago, and um, it was not really medication related at all. It actually really pissed me off because he kind of wanted to start fresh with like getting to know me and viewing all my symptoms and everything, which is understandable because it's the first time meeting him. But um, he didn't have any notes or medical history about me in front of him. Mm-hmm. And he was just basing it again off the information that was given him. And um, he's, he knew about my diagnosis with bipolar. So the general question that a lot of people get asked is um, like, do you have moment to moment switches and this question, I realized, was actually a very difficult question because when he asked me that, my response was yes, because I linked it to my manic state, how even though I can be absolutely euphoric and over the top, the smallest stimuli can switch my mood to being really pissed off or mm-hmm. upset about something. I could go hysterically uh, on a range of emotions. So when he asked that question, I responded yes, linking it to my manic episode, seeing it as a symptom of mania. But I guess he was asking it as a symptom overall for what was going on. So he would assume that I would have moment-to-moment switches regardless of whatever mindset I'm in. Mm -hmm. But for me, it was mania. So there was an issue there. Um, And um, he was just saying things like, you know, for your age, it's not as common to have a diagnosis of bipolar and um, I do see that quite a lot around like the general view of bipolar. A lot of the time they're like, oh, you should get your diagnosis uh, in your 20s. It's a bit too early to have your diagnosis and things like that. So he put um, just basically simply my age and um, the information he gathered from me um, and kind of said you have borderline personality disorder. Mm. And um, that was when I sort of, so I saying, well, no, if you look at my medical history, you'll see that, you know, I've had manic episodes that have been exclusive to bipolar. I've had depressive episodes and these are not moment to moment switches. I would have weeks to months of each and maybe sometimes periods of stability in between. But yeah, um, I, yeah he, he was very close minded and he didn't he was very dismissive of what I was saying. He saw he 
kind of thought I was trying to defend the diagnosis of bipolar. So he was just like, okay, um, this is going to be sent off to your GP. But um, I did speak to my psychologist because obviously the diagnosis would affect the work I'm doing with her and everything. And she said that my bipolar diagnosis have, has been validated by three specialists, including herself, mm-hmm. so that um, I should be able to work fine and identify what mania is, what depression is, and how that wouldn't affect my work with her. And um, how next time I see him, she'll um, be with an appointment with me so that she can kind of bring the conversation towards the more um, accurate diagnosis of bipolar. Wow. So how long did you meet with this new doctor for who um, said that he thinks it may be borderline personality disorder or BPD? Was that like a long intake session or were they kind of just rushing through it? Did you feel like they gave you an adequate amount of time to explain your symptoms and what's been happening with you? No, that's actually another thing that I had to point out to my psychologist. Usually, an appointment with a, a psychiatrist would be around one hour and 10 minutes. But for this guy, I only had 34 minutes. Mm. So it, it wasn't really that expansive on like all the other symptoms. And um, I found that he was trying to diagnose me based on one thing I've said, which I, I'm not in any place to tell a doctor how to do their job. But I mean, look at the group of symptoms and then make the diagnosis. Mm-hmm. That's sort of what I, I'd say. Because um, if you look at borderline personality disorder, yes, there's an overlap with bipolar for some symptoms. Mm-hmm. But then um, the DSM-5 requires at least five symptoms for the diagnosis. And he literally just tried to diagnose me on one, which also overlaps with bipolar. So it's not exclusive to BPT for BPT, I mean. So, mm-hmm. um, yeah, th- that was really problematic. Yeah, that sounds problematic. Uh, Borderline personality disorder for the audience is, as you can tell by the name, it's a personality disorder, whereas bipolar is a mood disorder. And there's a really important distinction between those two categories. And uh, like Aman was saying, usually, well, not usually, but sometimes there can be comorbidity between bipolar disorder and BPD. Um, But they are very even though there can be comorbidity, they are very fundamentally different types of mental health issues to have. So if there were to be a BPD component, that would be adding like a whole other level to what you already have going on, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's also things like treatment as well. I mean, I'm on medication and for BPD, sometimes the medication doesn't really match. So like, if I do have bipolar and I'm misdiagnosed and the meds are taken off me, that could cause a relapse as well, which is things that have been going on in my mind and I've been thinking about. So having an accurate diagnosis is really important for my health in general and for anyone's health, to be oh, honest. 100%. Yeah, no doubt about that. So um, you're 18 years old. Um, are you currently in high school or have you graduated? I can't remember what you last told me because I was curious about when you've had these symptoms going on since about age 13. That's um, actually, um, in my own case, I started having depression and stuff when I was in high school, but I didn't have any real hypomania or manic components like I may have had like a little touch of hypomania here and there but it wasn't that disruptive so I was curious about what your own experience going through high school was like after you started experiencing those symptoms was academics difficult for you or um, were you able to be successful in school how, how were you able to balance all of that um, to be honest um, even now um, I'm finding academics pretty difficult to keep up with. Um, when I was uh, diagnosed with first anxiety, I sort of had, I had to let um, school know because I was getting frequent anxiety attacks and that would be disruptive. Like if I was to have one in lesson, for example, and a lot of the time they would have be triggered. So um, they sort of provided me with like a pass or they emailed all my teachers letting them know what's going on. So like if I was to leave the room, they'd know why, um, which meant that often I'd be leaving the room, which would mean I'm missing out on content, 
Mm-hmm. Um, also, uh, when I'm depressed, I have zero motivation to do absolutely anything. Yeah. So um, my mom would drop me off to school because that's what moms do. But um, I, I wouldn't go less. I would simply just be sat in the library. And um, I had really amazing teachers. They were all really sympathetic about it and like they're showing empathy. But um, it wasn't good in the long run for my education. But um, I guess I do consider myself one of the fortunate, um, one of the fortunate people. Um, and I know this is a sensitive topic, but about COVID, um, it sort of helped my academics really? because, um, yeah, because I was basically failing most of my classes. Like I would do an addition and get a lower number than both the numbers I was given with. That was how bad my math was so um so um, same here telling uh, (laughs) my my poor math skills have been a running theme in this uh podcast so we are in the same boat there don't worry (laughs) um but yeah so um i'm in secondary school i'm in the uk so we call it secondary school and we would have um and at the end of secondary school we would have exams that would kind of dictate which college would be going into um but because of covid the exams were cancelled and i was given predicted grades and because a lot of the teachers that um i had um sort of liked me and kind of understood that my academics was being affected by my mental health they sort of gave me decent grades so that's why i do consider myself one of the fortunate people because there's other people right now who are who are in my place and they have to take the exams now and you know um, because of an inaccurate or incomplete diagnosis or not even being diagnosed, their mental health would affect their academics and there would be nothing there to support them in their transition to college. So, um, yeah. But um, in college now as well, I'm finding it really difficult um, to cope. Uh, I have exams next week. I'm trying my best to prepare for them. I have hit sort of a depressed state, but it's sort of, seeping in it's not really as bad as um my past ones mm-hmm. um my concentration and memory at the moment are just absolutely rubbish um but yeah I, I would have time to like leave a classroom and work on my own by myself in a sort of enclosed space if I did feel like I was depressed and um my colleagues are aware of my manic episodes so um they sort of help manage it as well. And my doctors are also in contact with my college, which is a good thing as well. So it's yeah. challenging, but um, we're getting there, I guess. So what are the warning signs of depression for you as an individual? Is it the lack of concentration that's tipping you off? Or is there anything else that's happening that is making you identify that you may have a depressive episode coming on? Um, I think... Um, a lot of people would associate mental illness with being like concentration and like symptoms that have to do with cognitive uh, features of your brain. But for me, um, I would actually get physical symptoms first. So I'd get muscle aches, um, aches in my bone. I'd get like really, really bad migraines. Um, And then I'll start getting intense fatigue to the point where I'd not be able to get out of bed for a couple of days. Um, And then all the emotional uh, turmoil of like, um, feeling depressed and motivated um even emptiness that's an emotion i think i would feel that quite a lot numbness um and just like really intense spikes of pain sometimes that would be really difficult to um it, it would hinder me from living a normal life or functioning fine during that day i guess hmm. interesting so when you say pain you mean physical pain right like psychosomatic pain yeah yeah yeah. that's really that's really really interesting i um i've never experienced that personally um i have had a major depressive episode where i um it was a psychotic depressive episode and i had a lot of trouble eating because i thought i had been infected by a parasite so um yeah and um so when earlier you were talking about having issues eating it kind of reminded me of that because I've experienced not like psychosomatic pains in my body but definitely issues regulating 
my eating and nutrition. Like that's something that's um, definitely happened in, in my own experience with bipolar as well. Um, but so when it comes to mania, you were talking about your hypomanic and manic episodes earlier. What are the most major symptoms of mania that you've experienced, would you say? Like, what does um, mania look like for you? Uh, for me, um, I'd say one of the most obvious symptoms is I struggle so much with hypersexuality. Really? And I know it's a bit, yeah, I know it's seen as a taboo symptom to be talking about, but that's why I brought it up first, because it's one of the most problematic ones I have. Mm. Um, also, insomnia, all my days, I would be up four days straight feeling absolutely fine like i'm on top of the world and have not a thing to worry about but then the thing is after the mania um finishes you're left with all this time that you've not been asleep and now that sort of takes a toll on your body so i think that would also count as one of my biggest symptoms mm -hmm. um but i'd say i can be very um careless reckless and impulsive most of the time um i kind of have that stereotypical euphoric jump party sort of mania even though i know that sometimes i can have absolute moments of rage and fury mm -hmm. um but um another interesting thing about um my mania is even though i can be hysterical and sometimes very vindictive and vengeful towards people um that's actually the time we are my most compassionate and more most giving towards people because a lot of the time I'm so um, intertwined with my own emotions that I want to take care of everyone else. I, I feel so good about myself that I want to share it with everyone else. I, I want to make everyone else happy. I, I, I'm, I'm being creative. You know, I want, I want to sort of give my heart out to everyone, even though, my mind sometimes says that you shouldn't, even though like sometimes I would go to um, the extent of maybe uh, getting in contact with someone from the past who I shouldn't do or sh I shouldn't be talking to anymore because of a history. Mm -hmm. um, because of my mania, that would sort of drive me forwards to kind of reach out to them and be check up on them, which can be seen as a good or bad thing, depending on the perspective, I guess. Yeah. And that can be draining too, to like emotionally overextend yourself to people, you know? Absolutely. So that's really interesting. So have, have you ever gotten into uh, trouble with like the hypersexuality or any of the other components of mania that you were discussing? Or have you been able to manage those symptoms in a way that's allowed you to um avoid like negative repercussions from from those manic symptoms um i've had to been i've been referred to like um sexual health clinics just to like check up if everything's okay and everything is fine like thank god but um you know they were like you really need to like slow down because there's a <laughs> lot of that's like going on like we're not the sex police but we're telling you you need to like calm the fuck down basically <laughs> <laughs> um, oh man yeah that's um that's not the best news to get um but yeah um with impulsivity um my money is a huge thing mm -hmm. um i am a social media influencer and um i used to like collaborate with like fashion brands and everything mm -hmm. and at, at one point i was manic and i was i was thinking oh my god i have all these followers wouldn't it be a great idea to just like start some merch and like um i was like spending like so much money like preparing all of it and the thing is i was just you know how i was saying you know i would just give things out to people mm -hmm. i didn't want to i didn't want to make it a business move i simply wanted to just give out merch so i was investing all this money into making no profit <laughs> which is exactly what happened so like, I, I don't think things through very well at all and that's basically how I managed to get broke in like two weeks. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah. that shit can happen for sure. Ha have you ever had like a super dangerous experience with mania? Like, um, 
like reckless driving or have you ever been arrested or detained by police or hospitalized or anything like that? Um, I've actually had two sort of dangerous um, experiences. I haven't got my driving license yet, but um, I'm taking driving lessons. And um, in my most recent manic episode, the one that sort of ended a couple of weeks ago, um, I was taking a driving lesson. I was speeding, but um, I sort of blame my driving instructor because he should have like indicated that I was speeding anyway. Mm. But um, I was speeding and I was indicating to take a left turn. But because my car was moving so fast, it literally sped forwards while there was people pulling out of that road. So oh. I basically, I almost killed my driving instructor. So um, he was like yelling at me. He was like, what the heck are you doing? He isn't aware of my diagnosis. And it was like really out of my character to do something like that. So um, that's probably the most risky thing I've done in terms of driving and stuff. But um with mania, you can have psychosis and delusions. And um, in my most recent one, I sort of had both. Mm. Um, so the psychosis for me was sort of like an irritant, but I was able to drive it to like help me write and stuff because it was just my thoughts, but they became so auditory that I would be able to differentiate whether I've heard something or whether I've thought something. But a lot of the time they were um, on level with what I was thinking. So when I wanted to write, they would just come like so naturally and, you know, that flow with like really good pace. And I'd be able to write, even though sometimes I would hear them rather than think them. It was like sort of um, something that you can turn into taking an advantage of, basically. But the dangerous part of um my mania from my last episode was delusions at one point i was convinced i was going to die and i was sending um messages to people saying you know i love you i'm gonna die tonight things like that i was 100 wow. like fully convinced that i would not live to see um to see like the next three hours and um that's when i did get in contact with hospital my parents um, contacted hospital they're like he needs help because he's got this diagnosis and he's in this episode at the moment so yeah um with that um i, I was just simply given antipsychotics aripiprazole which i've spoken about before did you have to stay in the hospital for a couple of days or anything or did you just go and they just uh, adjusted your medication for you see um with the hospital they would put me in a psychiatric ward if they deemed me to be a threat to myself mm -hmm. um and they sort of saw the situation in kind of like both um they saw both sides of the situation they they their um judgment was i am i am delusional but there's nothing i'm doing that would put me in danger in the first place if that makes sense like i was just convinced i was going to uh, not live and see another day but their judgment is if i wasn't doing anything to sort of provoke that or help that or push that forwards then i would be relatively safe so they just like gave me medication to like sort of lower it down until i eventually calmed out hmm. interesting what other medications have you been on in the past um, for anxiety, I've been on uh, melatonin pills, which is a natural chemical, which like sort of helps you sleep and stuff. Um, in terms of anxiety, it just like calms you down. I've been on melatonin pills, um, antidepressants. I've been on, I can't pronounce it. It starts with F, fluoroxine or something like that. Um, okay. Yeah, that, that's the antidepressants I've been on. But I've also been on lithium, um, Seroquel, but I've stopped them because they're not really helpful. So I'm on the much gin aripiprazole at the moment. Mm, okay. What made the uh, lithium and Seroquel not helpful? Um, the lithium for me was just the side effects. Um, I was getting like really, really bad stomach pains. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, and it was also like, I didn't like the fact that I had to taste metal first thing in the morning. Like it mm -hmm. tastes absolutely disgusting um yeah it tastes like you're eating carpet like i took lithium yeah. for about three years it, it tastes disgusting 
yeah um and also um i just didn't like the dedication of having to take my blood test like every couple of weeks just to make sure that the lithium levels were all right like i, I wasn't ready for that um and also the i just read the uh side effects and a lot of them started to scare me because those things like you know you can have damage to your liver and your kidneys and things like that i was just like you know what these side effects i, I don't want to be dealing with them even if it's not going to affect me short term it could potentially affect me long term and i don't want to do that and um so my doctor sort of pushed that off and put me on seroquel seroquel was really helpful in sort of managing my depression which was really interesting but it didn't really help the mania as much um so they literally put me on lamotrigine and lamotrigine is starting to like balance out my depressive episodes but because of the manic episode i've just had they paired it with aripiprazole uh, the antipsychotic that i had from hospital hmm. interesting okay so when you're at baseline how would you describe yourself like what what do you feel like when you're not having symptoms i haven't been baseline in ages but, um, <laughs> <laughs> it was so far away um but i'd say i'm relatively introverted actually um I'm sort of just very mellow, very calm, chilled out. Um, I, I would think things through a lot before doing any of them. In fact, I'm actually very indecisive when I'm baseline. I do rock, paper, scissors. I do ip, dip, do for like simple decisions. I can't make um, decisions at all. Um, I'm just very, I would describe myself in colors. So like if depression was black and white, mania would be, like very neon colors like very explosive neon colorful baseline me would sort of be just very tinted shades of like green and blue and like those sort of things um sort of a middle of both um i would consider baseline me healthier than depressed me but more boring than manic me <laughs> <laughs> interesting so um i know in your uh your book that you're working on you use colors as a metaphor quite a bit do you want to talk about your book scarred visions and what inspired it and where you're at with that project right now yeah sure um so um it started off actually as different projects all together um when i was 13 14 um I was like starting to write English was like my favorite subject and I sort of started to write poetry and post things online and I was using Wattpad and Marvellas which are writing sites quite a lot and um, uh, I was able to collaborate with um, someone called Scarlett who helped me with like the first few pages that you read of the book and um, I had this sort of idea um, where I could put myself uh, and my mental health as a metaphor. And um, it was sort of like this dystopian cyberpunk city surrounded by a desert wasteland. And that's how I would describe my mental state. But because back then I wasn't diagnosed with bipolar, I didn't really know what it was. So um, the dystopian city was sort of a metaphor for mania. The desert wasteland was a metaphor for depression. And um, I was working on just writing that as a full narrative story but then poetry started like seeping in uh in and out of the project too so then um i started to add that in and for me the structure of it didn't flow as well so i was thinking okay like how can i make this more consistent and um i published it um online uh, as like an online post um three years ago and I got a lot of comments, a lot of messages from people saying that, you know, it's, it's really good and I should write a book and things like that. And um, I sort of saw them as light comments. So like, I'd be like, yeah, thank you. But I didn't really think I would actually go down to like try and publish a book or anything. Um, manic me a couple of weeks ago, out of nowhere, I should write a book. And that's basically um, what I started to do. Um, I wanted to take what I had done a couple of years ago and push it forwards because mm. it meant a lot to me. Um, 
simply because it was probably the most personal thing I've ever written and I wanted people to kind of understand it and understand me a bit more because I've ha I have people who know I have bipolar disorder, but they don't really know what it entails of or what it's like. So I feel like if I was to publish it and, you know, they had a copy, they'd read it and they'd see more of an insight of what it means to be bipolar from my perspective, I guess. Um, but saying that, um, it's not solely based on my mental illness. There's actually a lot of it is based on things like friendship, heartbreak, love and relationships and things like that. But it's sort of intertwined in a way that would see how my mental illness would affect all of those things in the first place. Um, it's very hyperbolized in some places. Like um, in the city, you have the division of the north, south, east and west. Um, if you were to read the book, um, you'd be thinking I'm an absolute madman when like I write about the west side of the city because my character does a lot of very um, psychotic things um, to a person who has wronged him. But um, yeah, um, it's just a way of me representing my life experiences in regards to the mental illness, but also in regards to more generic uh, values and experiences that I've had. Hmm. Interesting. So you decided to go with kind of like a fictionalized version of your experience. What made you decide to do that instead of writing like a straight nonfiction memoir? Um, if I'm honest, um, it was more frightening for me to write like just straight up as explicit as I could be because um, I'm still coming to terms with the diagnosis and I, I know that you know when you publish something it's in print till the end of time mm -hmm. and anyone can access it and even though I do consider myself an open book at times I don't think I'm completely ready to like have a memoir out i might do it sometime in the future but um for me i know that i would have a lot of um anxiety like just producing something like that and putting it out which is why i respect you a lot because you have you've put yourself in like such a vulnerable position to put a memoir out and that's something that i actually see as quite a quite an achievement if i'm honest because i know i would i wouldn't be able to do that right now so you must have a lot I'm to do that. Uh, thank you so much, man. Yeah, uh, memoir writing can be pretty intense. Um, for me personally, I suck at writing fiction. So that's why I primarily write nonfiction. Um, but yeah, I don't know, man. Maybe someday you could try doing a straight memoir. In my own memoir <clears throat> titled My Brain is Trying to Kill Me, available on Amazon um whatever so in that book um there's a there's stuff that i didn't include in there because it was just way too intense and way too personal um even though that book i think is like very raw to begin with um it uh it, there's stories in there that i skipped over just because it, it was kind of like too much to write about so um I uh, I have plans to to explore some of those topics that weren't covered in that one further in the future. And um, that's actually kind of like this short story that I published a couple of months ago called Alice Had Creeps is like an example of one of those more intense stories that wasn't directly discussed in the original memoir. So like in your case, um, once you finish up this current project, uh, scarred visions project is that a working title or is that going to be the final title scarred visions i feel like that would be the final title um i want people to be involved as involved in it as much as i am so all my instagram followers are aware of it and um i had like different titles and i put it on a poll and to see which one was more suiting and fitting and majority of my followers agreed that Scarred Visions was one that would um, fit the whole theme better. I'll, I sort of got that title by thinking, you know, um, what can having a mental illness do to, to like anyone struggling with it? 
and a lot of the time it's just perceiving um, things differently and like seeing um, the world differently you know like someone with ADHD would see it see a situation compared compared to someone with bipolar very differently um, and for me um, having scarred visions sort of shows how as the character goes more and more through through this city his vision becomes scarred and he becomes more like the people in the city rather than having his own identity which is sort of reflective of how mania can slowly creep up on you and then you're this full-blown manic person which is what I uh, wanted to sort of reflect throughout the story huh that's really cool so when will this be coming out how much how much longer do you think it'll be before it's uh, ready to go and are you planning I'm assuming you're planning on self-publishing right yeah completely self-publishing um I'm just in the state of um editing the manuscript so like errors and like missed words and things like that the the writing of the manuscript itself was actually really interesting i wanted it to be as um authentic as it possibly could be even though it's a fictional anthology so while i was manic i would kind of have word online open on my phone and i would use dictate and i would just like be speaking to my phone and all these words would just be appearing on the screen and that's sort of how it started to format itself out. And I never went back to like edit a sentence if I thought it was too descriptive or not descriptive enough because I wanted it to sort of just be as raw and authentic as it is and a representation of what I was thinking, what I was saying in that moment of time. So when um, the readers do start reading the book, they know that these are not things that I've typed, these are things that I've said and things that I've thought of genuinely in that moment of time while working on the project wow almost like a stream of consciousness approach yeah exactly wow wow that's really cool so um once this book comes out what like what is your intention with it to educate people to entertain people like what what is the (laughs) crux of what you're trying what your goal is what your mission is with that project Um, For me, I'd say it's a mix of trying to entertain people, but also just giving more of an insight on the type of person that I am. Um, Who I am on social media is very different to who I am as an individual and as a person. And um, I think there's a lot of um, misunderstandings that people have of me, but also of um, bipolar disorder. Um, The biggest stereotype I've seen is mania is all positive Um, and I try and break that stereotype as much as I can without making it seem to be a toxic thing like full full full-on toxic thing um, in the process so I sort of balance out the pros and cons of mania throughout the anthology to try and show a more accurate representation and how you know we're not just um people who can just like switch emotions just because we're manic a lot of the time there would be reasons behind it so we're not as unpredictable as people would think we are for example yeah so what are your other plans for the future um are you it it sounds like you're planning on continuing to write about your experiences do you think you'll have more books coming out or do you have um, other directions that you think you might head in in terms of mental health advocacy or your creative works? Um, I feel like um, I'll always be a writer. This is just the first time I'm actually publishing something um, in a physical format. But um, I feel like, you know, a couple of years down the line, I might put something else out as well. And it, it would just simply be um, a consistent thing throughout my lifetime to do. I guess, because I really enjoy writing. It's one of my biggest passions. And um, yeah, that's something I'll definitely continue with. Um, In terms of like mental advocacy and things like that, um, I've had a few charities on Instagram, like reach out to me and they're like, you know, you seem like a really open person and um, would like to collaborate with you and things like that. Interesting. at that time, I refused it because I thought, you know, maybe it's a scam or something. But 
I feel like I would go out in person rather than just like see a DM on Instagram. I, I would rather go out in person, like collaborate with charities in person, like do charity work and like gain profit and money. I mean, and just mm-hmm. like help people get a faster diagnosis. Um, you know, Bipolar UK, that is one of the leading ones for bipolar and depression. And um, they help, they raise money in order to like help people get a faster diagnosis. And I'll love to work with them eventually. But for now, I'm just like trying to get college out of the way first. I'm in my yeah. last year of college. So I've only got a few months left. And after that, I'll be trying to do whatever I can. Yeah. That's, um, that's definitely a very noble endeavor. That sounds absolutely awesome. So can you remind me how college works in the UK? So you, you have secondary and then college and then university. Is that how it works? <laughs> so um, we have primary school, which is basically ages four to like 12. Okay. And then you have secondary school, which is like ages 13 to 16. Okay. And then um, from secondary school, you do your uh, your exams and then that would dictate which college you go to. College is ages 16 to 18. And then um, you sort of do exams then as well. And then that would dictate which university you go to and okay. like what degree you'd specialize in. So do you, do you see yourself going to university as well? Absolutely. Um, I want to be a teacher. So mm-hmm. I, um, being at uni would be basically uh, essential for me to attain that because I have to do a qualified teacher status and like a PGCE and things like that, which only universities can offer. Wow, that's awesome. That's an awesome goal to have, man. Good for you. Um, do you have any advice for the audience? Any any words of wisdom or insight that you would like to provide for people, for anyone who may have mental health problems or who may be living with friends or family who have mental health problems, anything like that? Um, I'd say don't be afraid to tell your doctor that he or she is wrong. Because um, <laughs> I love that. <laughs> um, I-, I posted that on my Instagram like a couple of days ago. Um, because of what happened but honestly it can be the most infuriating experience um, but also it can make you question yourself quite a lot um, with bipolar a lot of people have the imposter syndrome which is when you question your diagnosis so like when you're manic you you question you know was I ever depressed in the first place and then you start questioning your diagnosis like that um, I've had that a few times and other people with bipolar who have done that a few times as well but having someone just because they're professional tell you that, you know, you fit into a category of people doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, um, they write, especially if it's only for a short session. I feel like in psychiatry, it, sh- it should be over an extended period of time before you get an accurate diagnosis. Yeah. Um, so, you know, if you see a doctor for the first time and they already give you a diagnosis. I would say in most cases that would be a red flag because there's no way they could have possibly checked your medical history, your family history. Um, uh, the, if you, you know, do, uh, drink alcohol or take drugs, cause that can kind of take a role in how you mood switch and everything. Um, and there's no way they could assess every single part of your symptoms and give you an accurate diagnosis within just one session yeah. I, I think I think that is something which it, it can happen it can be accurate diagnosis and a lot a lot of the time it leads in the direction towards an accurate diagnosis but if a doctor is um being like close-minded about it and telling you that you know a lot of the things that you've, you're saying fit in a different context then I, I would just say don't be afraid to, t- to tell them that they're wrong and just because they're professionals doesn't mean that they know everything about you. In fact, you probably know, you know more, more about yourself than they do because you're the one yeah. experiencing it. Yeah, I think that's great advice for sure. I think self-advocating with doctors is extremely important and taking things with a grain of salt, kind of doing some introspection and doing your own research to an extent can be um, very helpful and important to do as well. So 
Yeah, definitely great advice. And what other projects or social media would you like to plug before we wrap this up? Well, obviously, there's um, Scarred Visions, which I'm very close to finishing and getting out. It's going to be my debut. Um, it's really exciting for me to get out. Um, as of now, I've not had a publication date set. But if you were to follow my Instagram, which is official, there'll be updates on that. As well as Twitter. Twitter does not have anywhere near as much as a, a following as I do on Instagram. But if you guys don't have Instagram, then it's Amon Shabir off. Um, but yeah, those are the two social medias that I'm most active on. Cool. And we'll definitely put links to that in the uh, episode description so people can find all of that and keep up to speed on your projects that you're working on because it sounds like really interesting stuff. And uh, did you have any final thoughts about anything? Anything else that we didn't cover that you'd like to add before we end? No, I think this episode is actually really great. <laughs> no, it was a pleasure having you on, man. I think this was really helpful. I think it's really interesting to get kind of a younger perspective on things. Um, like I said, I, I believe you are the youngest person. Actually, I'm sure you are the youngest person who's been on the show so far. So... Um, definitely really great to hear your insight and your perspective on things. And I re really appreciate that you decided to come on. Yeah, thanks for having me on here. As always, thank you for listening. My name is Hunter Keegan, and this was another episode of Bipolar Recorder. We are on Twitter at Bipolar Recorder, and I am on Twitter at HH Keegan. You can also follow show updates on www.bipolarrecorder.com. Be sure to tell your friends about the show if you've been enjoying it so far, and maybe even consider leaving a rating for us so we can get our podcast more visible and accessible to more people. For information about Amon and his work, check out the episode description. I hope wherever you are in the world, you're having a happy and healthy existence, and be sure to join us again soon. Thanks. Bipolar Recorder is a listener-supported show. To help keep the show running, consider checking out our Patreon page or visiting BipolarRecorder.com. Unless otherwise stated, the hosts and guests on Bipolar Recorder are not licensed mental health professionals. Bipolar Recorder is not a substitute for therapy or professional medical intervention. If you are having a mental health crisis, please contact your local emergency services.